1: It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome in to a special edition of the Inside Carolina podcast. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. We are sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com. got a, not so well a special guest, but not an unknown guest today. Talk a little Carolina basketball, Mr. Dewey Burke. What's going on, Dewey? What's up, TA? Everything is
0: good. I know you guys have been uh, enjoying football so far, and I'm loving how Drake's playing, but let's talk a little hoops.
1: Absolutely. Uh, Mention off air, it's it's tough getting back in the swing of basketball. Um, For folks listening to this, Greg Barnes and I did a basketball YouTube-only show um, that'll drop sometime soon if it hadn't already. Um, but Dewey, I wanted to get you in here to sort of, sort of preview this basketball team. Um, it is incredible what six or seven months will do for a program. Um, last time you and I talked, it was after the national championship, everything and all that that went with that. But when you think back to February, Dewey, to right now, um, how incredible has that been in the program's history. I mean, I I can't think of another moment in Carolina basketball history where it's been one place in February and seven or eight months later in a completely different place and, quite frankly, the right place for North Carolina basketball.
0: No, it remains remarkable. It remains nothing short of remarkable. The run that this team went on, the ride they took us all on uh, remains nothing short of remarkable. The only two... Somewhat similar instances I can think of. You'd be able to tell me the year when we went to a final four as an eight seed before, which yeah. was when 2000, 2000. So that was, yep. you know, 20, 22 years ago. And I think you can take some similarities uh, and it's always my bias weighing in here, but some similarities to winning the national championship in 2005 and having no idea what we would have and who we would be seven months later, right? Everybody left. We, we raised the banner And here comes this class, right? This class of 2009 that nobody knows what you have. And then they do what they do or what we did. Uh, Not only that first year when we far uh, surpassed expectations, but obviously what they eventually became. But you didn't know, right? I mean, in in May of 2005, after everybody declared, all you knew that you had was David Noel and and Rayshon Terry who played sparingly. That's all you have. Um, so that was remarkable. But uh, th- this is as much excitement as I can recall for a Carolina team. Uh, and it's also very unique that everybody came back. And the, the NIL uh, world that we're in now is part of that. And I think we're going to get into that. But it's, it's still, as good as we think we should be and as talented as we are, it's still going to be the same, the same things in order to be great. You got to make shots, you got to guard and you got to stay healthy. And we're going to have to do those three things. And we did that for those last 20 games or so last year. We guarded, we made shots and we stayed healthy really until the last, you know, game and a half of the season uh, when Mondo got hurt. So the themes are the same, but boy, there's, I was down there maybe three weeks ago in Chapel Hill, went to a workout and saw the guys and, there is an extreme amount of enthusiasm around this program.
1: Yeah, I want to get into that. Definitely want to, to discuss the NIL aspect of it a little bit. And you mentioned those years, and you're right. Um, you know, it was the the uncertainty. And then, um, but I sort of compare this. Everybody talks about 16 to 17. I remember 08 to 09, right? Everybody decided to return, make a run, and all here. But I don't ever remember a team – actually on the floor looking like a team like this one did say the Pittsburgh game and then sort of flip the switch to be, uh, to turn into an elite basketball team that like you mentioned, short of a turned ankle or badly turned ankle, probably wins the national championship last year. Um, for, from your aspect of it, you played the game. Um, you certainly part of Carolina's program, you know, how athletes work. Um, What's the mindset that changes so much in those those few weeks or or those few um actually few games before it just sort of flipped for Carolina last year and then carrying forward over the summer? what's the athlete's mind like in that process
0: yeah it's it's a really good question and and a couple of things to unpack there the you know the reference to o eight and o nine is a great point uh with the difference being. You know, coming off the 2007 season, my last season, when we knew everybody was coming back from that team except for Brandon Wright, you knew how good they were going to be, right? Tyler Hansborough is a junior, Lawson Ellington, our soft, <clears throat> sophomores, you've still got Danny. I mean, we knew how good we were going to be in 08, and we were on a march to win that national championship until our world got blown up by Kansas, right? And so when you then went 08 into 09 and everybody decided to come back, it was just, hey, we're running this back because we have unfinished business. I understand that the team feels like they have unfinished business, but they were nothing like the 08 team, right? Uh, In terms of how they played until this very end period. Um, And I think what must have happened, whether it was after that Pittsburgh game or, or around that time, is some of the players finally recognized this isn't working. This isn't working. What we're doing isn't working. We're not together. We're not defending. We're not sharing the ball and making the extra pass. We're taking forced and a lot of bad shots. We're turning the ball. This isn't working. And so I don't know that any of us on the outside will know exactly if it was a players only meeting or a conversation with Hubert or a, uh, a, a subset of players getting together and having a conversation about changing, but something changed. Caleb changed. Mondo changed, you know, a couple guys that we view as the stars of our team. To me, it's those two. I think RJ was pretty solid all year. Did he elevate his play? Yes. Did Leaky start to play better? Yes. Did we really take any kind of handcuffs off, off, off of Brady and say, Hey, every time you touch it, you probably ought to shoot it. Yes, that'll happen. But to me, Armando and Caleb changed how they played. They bought in, they guarded, Caleb took better shots and they, they came together and then they were a completely different team. And so if that has held through the summer, which I believe it has and should have, uh, they ought to come into this season with that same set of togetherness and and family feeling that I just don't think could have been there when you're playing that poorly. It's very hard to be together when you're losing. It just is. And so I think from whatever moment there was around that Pittsburgh game, there was a definitive shift. Uh, for me, it was those two guys. And from there, the rest is, is history, obviously.
1: I think one of the consistence there, um, consistent pieces of it, is I think is it was Hubert Davis. Uh, I mean, we heard him from the day he took over um, what he was doing, what he planned to do and how he expressed it, at least to the media on the outside looking in. Um, and quite frankly, early in the season, a lot of us, me somewhat included, um, and you can offer your opinion on it, didn't think it was going to work or, or it certainly didn't look like whatever he was selling was not going to work, but to his credit, he stayed on it. Um, and you're right, those guys turned around, but how important do you think it was to have Hubert Davis taken over from Roy Williams. I mean, following a legend is never easy, um, no matter where you are. I mean, you can see instances of that all over the country and in sports world all over. But how important was it for you um, in this turnaround to see Hubert Davis remain the same, remain on point, at least from the outside looking in? He remained consistent in his message, in his methods and all until it finally started working i think that and a
0: couple points number one i think you're exactly right he 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 stayed the course on his messages what he believed in and we'll come back to that i think the other point is i remember us having conversations five seven ten twelve games into it saying he's just doing this for the first time so hubert hubert also evolved in coaching in substitution patterns in the and the sets they ran and and all of those things as he got comfortable. Uh, So we give him credit for that. But your point uh, is very, very accurate in that his messaging to the team and what he would say to the media never changed. I want these guys to have the experiences I had. That's what he kept saying. I want them to understand what it's like to go on a run hang a banner, win an ACC championship, get to a final four. He didn't win a national championship, but that was the message. Whereas I want these guys to create their own memories and have the ones that I have. And he kept saying it and he kept saying it. And leading up through mid-January, n- none of their experience was much like what Hubert experienced, right? But then it clicked in and then it changed. So now these guys have had a taste of what many of us who have been a part of the program have been able to, to enjoy and and reflect upon. And that was his consistent message. I want you guys to have the Carolina basketball experience that I had. That's why everybody on the staff is a Carolina guy. It's all the same message. You guys are here to have the experience we all had before you. And now they had a taste of that, right? So his messaging came to fruition. They did have that experience. Uh, They fell one step short. So now the question is, does he have to change that message because they say, okay, we did, we did experience it, Hubert. We have, we have a hunger to get that extra step. But boy, I tell you in the middle of January, when it's cold in Blacksburg or or Boston, or, you know, you don't want to go to practice, you know, he's going to have some, some work to do to keep those guys in it. Cause when you have that kind of success, it's easy to say, well, we're just getting ready for March. We're getting ready for March. All right, but you got to you got to build the habits now and they ought to have some good habits, but they got to cement them so that they're ready to play as well, because we will have the biggest target on our back.
1: You went exactly where I was about to go is can you describe the difference um, from your perspective of the hunter versus the hunted? I, I mean, we've always heard that and you see it in, in football this year um, with App State and Carolina and Duke and Carolina and and certainly in basketball in years past where everybody's going to get – they're going to give you their best shot every time you go out. And and I think um, sometimes last year, Carolina still got that best shot from teams, but I'm not necessarily sure teams thought they had to do that to beat Carolina at least early. This year, preseason number one for the 10th time, preseason ACC champs, Baycott is – uh, preseason player of the year I mean how 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 much of an effect player to player do you think is that target and the hunter versus hunted thing how does that play into it getting ready for a season
0: sure it it's definitely different it's definitely different every road atmosphere will be different than some of the ones we experienced over the past couple of years when you're this highly uh, highly ranked and highly commended in the preseason coming off what we did, it's different, most particularly on the road. Uh, is the state game at state always raucous? Yes. Is the Duke game on? Yes. But when you're the number one team, it's like that at Virginia Tech. It's like that at Boston College. It's like that at Clemson. And it hasn't necessarily been that way the last couple of years because we weren't elite. We are back to being an elite team on paper at least right now, and, and so that's where you feel it the most is on the road. Um, you know, I think at home, generally speaking, we typically get everybody's best shot. I know there's that kind of mythical thing that how do these teams always come in the Smith Center and shoot the ball so well? Uh, it's a shooter's gym. That's the first thing I'll say, um, but people are always going to be up to play in the Smith Center. They come in, you look up at the banners. That's a given in my opinion. Uh, but you feel it most on the road. Uh, so these guys are not going to be able to have an off night. Whereas in the last season or two, if we had an off night and the other team had an off night, it was just an ugly game and let's see who's going to win. The other teams aren't going to have off nights against us. You wouldn't think. Um, so look, we're going to lose games. We are, we're going to have bad shooting nights. Uh, hopefully we won't deal with injuries, but they usually happen. Um, they're going to be tested by this um and coach williams was always really really gifted at drilling down his messaging to the next practice the next game and not you know we would talk about our postseason goals or our season goals at the beginning and then that was it it was just next step it's just the next thing and uh i would venture hubert will be able to do the same thing hopefully uh, one of the things you have to be happy about, given what we just talked about in the last question, is I don't think there's any question of buy-in here. I think these guys are bought in, right? they 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 had that change in January, and they bought in and then look what they did. So you would suspect that from the first practice, every single player, two eyes locked in on Hubert, every word that he says, following what the staff directs, there's there's no, Hopefully, no consternation of, well, that's not how Coach Williams did it. That's not how Coach Robinson did it. That's not how Coach Holiday did it years before. I mean, just there should be none of that, right? It's, it's, we're all right here. There's a, an unbelievable amount of trust born out of our success. And, uh, and we better bring it every night because, because we do have the biggest target on our back.
1: That's a great point about the trust born from success. I, mean, I might have to steal that quote. They, Hubert can say, and he wouldn't, but he could certainly say, what I talked about all last year worked. Look where we were. Um, when you didn't listen, this is what happened. When you did listen and buy-in, this is what happened. So he's got that behind him. Um, and, and it's a great point about the buy-in. There's no debate. There, there's no um, wondering what. It Had last season continued in January through the end of the year, then we could probably have that discussion this year. And, and, the, and a great.
0: different roster.
1: Yeah. hundred percent. And, um, so, so it's an interesting point. Let, let me ask you taking a different tack, maybe the NIL portion of it, and we'll get into a breakdown of the team after the break, but, but I wanted to get your take here. The distraction aspect of this, um, Hubert also talked about, um, if we win, you win as far as if the team's really good, then people are interested in, and in wanting you to, uh, represent town hall burgers or, or, you know, plumbing company or things like that. They want winners to support their things. And saying that, you look at a guy like Armando Baycott. I mean, he has lived his best life this summer. I mean, how, how, how cool is it or would it be to be a college student in North Carolina and getting paid and seeing the world um, and getting to do what he's been able to do? So let me ask you, Dewey, from that perspective, the distractions of the outside world. Hubert talks about it all the time. It's, mm-hmm. on, it's only gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. How do you deal with that from a, a coaching standpoint, be a player standpoint?
0: Sure. Lo- lots of thoughts on this question. Uh, the one thing I'll say is being a part of Carolina basketball, being on the team. Uh, you are already, especially, and I'm, I'm talking about guys that start and get real minutes and everything, you are already a celebrity. Uh, that, that's just a very honest comment. You are already a cel- celebrity. How do you know that? It's not just because, you know, you get noticed going to the dining hall or get stopped for pictures in the pit or whatever. You know that when you arrive in Boston at 1 a.m. on a flight and there's 100 people in the lobby of your hotel. You know that when you go on the road and you go out to shoot two hours before and there's 50 to 75 Carolina fans down by the court just wanting to get a glimpse and take pictures of you. It's wild, right? So it's already that. And then you exponentially increase it because of social media. And now that these guys are spokesmen for different companies and, and getting paid marketing dollars, it, it's it's a show. I mean, you're, you're part of a show. Um, but I will say that I think it's perhaps easier at a program like Carolina because you're already used to all the limelight and the, the light being on you. Whereas my example would be the kid at Miami. Um, last name's Wong, isn't it?
1: Mm-hmm. Asai Wong.
0: Isaiah Wong, right? They don't have the pedigree of a Carolina program, right? So he's down there as a marquee player at a school that's not a basketball school in a town that doesn't drop everything over their basketball games. And he's making a couple hundred grand or or more than that. And his teammates are looking at him like, you know, why is it all about him? Whereas here, we've got multiple guys that are getting money like that. We've got multiple players that, are participating in nil and we're a part of a program that's already there it's already in the limelight all the time so i do think it's a little bit different um however uh i think a very relevant point to make uh and it's a little bit of inside baseball but here's what i would tell our listeners if you guys see eric hoots in chapel hill or sean may in chapel hill just thank them for how much work they put into NIL over the summer to make sure that these kids were getting market rate dollars so they didn't have to worry about the transfer portal. I think those guys have busted their ass and it's not in their job description. It's not in their job description. Eric Coots is out having to raise money for NIL so the players get market rates so they can check that box and not have to worry about it and keep them together. Uh, it's a it's a weird world out there, um, but I just I make that point not just because he's my friend and and know him well. Those guys have worked unbelievably hard at making sure NAL uh, the box was checked on NAL for our guys, and it has been. Um, so I I'm not worried about it, Tommy. I, I think these guys tasted success together. They've all been able to participate in NIL in their own way. Some guys more than others, sure. But it's not like that Miami situation where you think it's Wong and it's everybody else. I think a lot of our guys are kind of all in the same little little stratosphere um, from a dollars perspective. Uh, and again, the staff has made sure of that. So I, I'm not worried about it. I think they're going to be fine. I, I do think it's more about what happens on the court. I think it's health and making
1: shots and guarding
0: and if we do those things the rest of it takes care of itself
1: indeed it does great point there on nio it is a thing and, and uh carolina you know, carolina's benefited from it a lot of schools have benefited from it but carolina's benefited from it especially keeping everybody around keeping everybody happy off the court on the court we'll discuss talk about johnny t-shirt johnny t-shirt sponsors of this podcast sponsors of insight carolina and friends of the inside carolina premium subscriber off your order if you order from Johnny t-shirt. So my better half goes to Johnny t-shirt last weekend and spends a fortune. And I look at the receipt and she forgot to give them the inside Carolina premium code. So I asked, she said, well, I didn't mind Johnny t-shirts local. They need our support. So I didn't want to get the discount. I just wanted to support a local business. You can do that. But you can also get that Inside Carolina premium code off the message boards and get your 10%. Take care of them. They take care of us. National guys pay the bill on the audio version. Special Inside Carolina podcast. Dewey Burt, Carolina Basketball Preview. Dewey, let's get back in this Inside Carolina special podcast with Dewey Burke, of course. Um, Dewey played on the team, God, it's been a while, 15 years ago, man. I know. Uh, don't, so, don't, uh... don't start being old talking about <laughs> I, mean, I feel like I need a blanket. It's cold here, and, you know, like the grandparents want to get the blanket because it's cold. <laughs> let's talk about the team specifically. Um, yeah. I mentioned in the lead uh, Armando Bacot, preseason ACC Player of the Year. Um, Let's start with him. I I mean, saw him as a freshman, fantastic, especially down in the Bahamas against Oregon. Wondered for two years where that was. Uh, There were there were signs of it on occasion, um, but never really saw it in full until last year. How does Armando Bacot get? better at what he does i'm not convinced he's always he's going to be a three-point shooter and i think people need to do that but how does he get better um given how consistent he was last year
0: well the biggest change for armando was relentless effort relentless effort when he figured out that if i just play harder than the bigs i'm playing against i'm already better than them now i'm just playing harder too and i can't be stopped that's my view is his relentless effort is what catapulted him into a guy we're talking about. You're not surprised if he has 20 and 20, right? We, we were comparing him to Sean May after some of the games he had late in the season, pretty high praise. Uh, so if he brings relentless effort, like he did last year, especially in the second half of the season, all the work that he's done this summer on refining skills, better ball handling, using his left. Obviously, everybody's talking about him stepping out and and being able to pick and pop and shoot threes, and he's doing that with an eye on a professional career, and I understand that. And and if the staff and Hubert are confident in him taking those shots, then good, take those shots and take them till you don't make them, you know. And if you don't make them, then you got to change. But for me, his relentless effort and and understanding the amount of uh, of constant hustle you have to play with uh, is is how you can feel like you could, this guy could average 15 rebounds a game and you wouldn't be surprised. Uh, this guy could have a, a, a Bryce Johnson, Florida state like game, right? 30 and 20 something that that's right there for him uh, to me because the effort box is already checked. He's, he's figured that part out, right? So now it's just, can you stay healthy? And uh, your skills hopefully took a little step up over the summer. Boy, tough guy to stop. And you, you think about putting the ball into the post. He ought to have, if not eight, you know, 10 eyes on him uh, from a defensive perspective, which is going to open up cutting lanes, open shots, skip passes, all those kinds of things, because teams are going to have to double him, especially those that don't have, uh, you know, a good rotation of bigs. He's going to draw fouls. He's an he's a improved free throw shooter. So uh, if he plays as hard as he did to finish the season last year. I mean, this guy's an All-American.
1: How big a deal is Pete Nance's arrival for Baycott? I mean, we talk, I'm not going to go back to Brady Manick, but that dude was a unicorn. Um, but when it came to post play, they lacked a little bit, and I felt like Baycott shouldered 95% of that load last year. Well, Pete Nance comes in from Northwestern, and he's got the ability to maybe take some of that interior load, whether it's on the defensive end or whatever. Um, how big a deal is that for Baycott, and how do you think those two guys can play together, given that last year it was Baycott and Post, and that was about it? Sure. Well, the answer
0: is we don't know. The answer is we don't know, but on paper and, and what statistically Nance has done in his career would lend itself to believing that he's a little bit more of a, of a true inside-out presence. We know he can shoot the three ball. He's not going to shoot it like Brady. No one maybe ever will again. Uh, I mean, the way, the way Brady shot the ball as a, as a catch and shoot man was, was breathtaking. Um, and uh, you know, so on the defensive end, I think it was a good point. Uh, a lot of times hopefully Nance can perhaps guard the other team's best post player to give Mondo a little bit of a break, or they can at least rotate. Whereas to your point last year, there was no question. Mondo had to guard the other team's best post player and and was, uh, was also down there banging a lot by himself on the board. So you ought to have help on the backboard. You ought to be able to do a little rotating defensively where he can maybe get a break. Um, but the answer is we don't know. I mean, one of the best things about our offense and when we really started to play well was that we were really spread out. You know, a lot of four out, one in. Uh, we would run some horn sets where the two bigs would set screens, but Brady was never really... All that often, anyway, rolling to the to the glass and being in the paint, he truly became almost like a three man, and we played uh, as a one, a two, and two threes and a five. Uh, and so I don't I don't know uh, how they're going to adapt to to be being also more of a post presence. Um, it's easier to double Armando if the second post player is just on the other block or at the elbow. It's easier to double big to big. Versus when you're spread out now because he can shoot. Ideally, we will still play a lot of four out one in. If we want to put Nance in the post because there's a m- mismatch, then Armando can step out. I'm curious to see if we're going to play much, if any, sort of traditional Carolina three out two in, right? The old school Coach Smith, Coach Williams. Uh, we got we got away and went away from our box sets and did uh, a lot of different things out of secondary and then ran a lot of a lot more pro style pick and roll type offense. Than we've seen historically. So, how does that come together when you do have two bigs? Uh, it'll be interesting. Now, look, we're also going to play when Don Trez comes in and Puff, you know, we're still going to play with one big a lot too. Uh, so, all that's going to be very interesting. But uh, I think the answer is we don't know. We didn't know what we had with Brady, and we didn't really find that out until the second part of the year. Uh, and we don't know what we have with Pete. So, it's going to be interesting. Uh, the roster is different,
1: um, but he should help. It, it's a great point about it. it'll be interesting to see how hubert and the staff adapt to the skill sets because everybody else is the same um and you flop nats and manic and it, that'll be something i watch a lot and it'll be a work in progress and it may be ugly at times early in the season um, if anything last year showed that they, they figured it out and they figured out what to do so a great point there to pay attention to that let, let me talk about Um, and I've debated who's the most valuable player, um, or who could be on this team. Um, but let's talk about Leaky Black. Um, I wrote in his preview article that was on Inside Carolina. I don't know if any Carolina player has ever been, um, sort of talk. I don't want to say talk negative about, but people were down on Leaky for a lot of his career, um had a lot of you know, negative comments. We'll put it that way. Yep. And then it sort of flipped when he came out of his shell. I mean, he talked about the anxiety issues and all that and how Jackie helped him with that. But, but in the last half of the season, Dewey, I'm not sure there's been a more beloved Carolina player um, that whose box score, purely a numbers box score, was nothing really to write home about. Can you just talk about the, the leaky effect? Um, they they say lockdown leaky, but good gracious, man, what a ride he's been on and, and what does he do this year to keep it going? It is so interesting. He came in with this reputation of, of potentially being somebody
0: that could play point guard at six, eight and average a triple double and, and do all these things. And then he was just never healthy, uh, never healthy, never able to work on his skills in the summer. And uh, and then obviously had had confidence issues and anxiety issues. And those, that's very real. You come with expectations and then you underperform. You know, you hear it. You hear the comments. You're aware. And uh, and I think he also had to figure out who he was as a basketball player. He's not he's not bad. Right. He's not a facilitator and a guy that can get you 15, 10 and eight. He's a great complimentary piece A glue guy, a fantastic defender, the guy who makes the right pass, sets the right screen, gets the right loose ball, all of those things. And so when he settled into that role and was healthy, uh, he was as important as any player on our team last year and the run that we went on. Uh, Not everybody gets to shoot it 20 times a game. Not everybody gets to, uh, you know, to get the ball thrown into them in the post 15 times a game. Some people have to do the things like setting screens and being the best communicator on the defensive end and being a great leader in the locker room, even though you're not the one that has a chance to be pre- the ACC player of the year, right? There, there are roles you have to fill. And I think he understands who he is. Uh, and so that's, that's pretty cool for all of us as Carolina fans to see the evolution of Leakey. Uh, but to me, health is the biggest thing. With health comes the ability to work. With the ability to work comes confidence. With confidence, you then play well in games. You play well in games, you believe you're going to play well in the next game. That's what happened to him, right? There was a crisis of confidence there and a crisis of health that really took several years to to unwind itself. Uh, But here we are with a fifth-year senior that is unbelievably experienced, uh, will be unbelievably motivated uh, to, to leave his lasting impression on the Carolina program. And how great that you know that your elder statesman doesn't need the ball, doesn't need to stuff the stat sheet. He's going to guard. He's going to hustle. He's going to communicate. He's going to lead. Well, that's pretty exciting to have. Not a lot of teams have that.
1: Yeah, a couple points there. Dean Smith used to always say there's no limits to what you can accomplish if nobody cares who gets the credit. Leakey is a prime example uh, of that. And also – um, his ability to guard, I mean, he guarded Kihei Clark in the ACC tournament and shut him down and just totally shut Virginia down. And then the next game he's guarding, or, or you know, the next time out he's guarding Paolo Banquero, a 6'10", 250-pound monster. Who was number one pick in the draft. Who number one pick. So that, that versatility, I mean, I don't, I don't think we can heap enough praise on him. And if you told me we were going to say that in December of last year, um, I'd have thought you were crazy, quite honest. So that, that evolution has been just remarkable. It speaks a ton to, to him personally, his upbringing, everything. And to Hubert Davis for giving him, um, that into Jackie manual. But here's where I want to get your take here. Cause this is where I think Carolina's season rises and falls. And I think it's with RJ and Caleb love. Um, I think RJ's pretty solid. He he's become the dog that Carolina needs. I think Caleb might be the, uh, might be the the key to this season do we what do you think with those two guys um because we've seen what they can do when they're hot and we can see what Caleb Love can do when he's hot and then the national championship will believe five for 24 uh, I mean if, if he figures it out consistently Carolina's gonna win the national championship but your take here on Love and Davis and their impact
0: yeah, I think last year when we had this conversation, you asked me who I thought the most important player was on the team. And I believe my answer was RJ Davis at that time. I, I felt like he had the ability to to step up a couple of levels and really have the ball in his hands from a decision-making standpoint. We know he can score, he can shoot it. Uh, but I felt he had the ability to really be a consistent presence, whereas we we have come to understand that Caleb can – or has in the past had extreme highs and extreme lows. And I do believe RJ took that step. Uh, And so to your point, he's solid. I I don't think we worry about RJ uh, as long as he stays healthy, that guy's going to be there uh, supremely confident with the ball in his hands. And and Hubert gave him the ball, right? We went from who's our point guard and Caleb, maybe 60, 40 to it's, it's like 80, 20 RJ, right? He's the point guard, Caleb's the off guard. And, and that helped as we, Found our groove. That was one of the changes. It seems uh, with Caleb. Look, he's going to take questionable shots. He's going to take heat check shots. Uh, hopefully, with maturity and age and and watching film, he can be a little bit more deliberate in picking his spots. Um, but at the same time, you're talking about a guy that feels like he's always one shot away from make making his next seven. And so there's going to be. There's going to be a little bit of a license there that that he has and and you can argue has earned based on some of the performances he's had. Now the challenge for Hubert will be if he is taking contested threes off the dribble, challenging shots, and is is ice cold. You know he's got to coach him through that. You can't do that in the national championship, right? It's the last game. You're their own and you're off, but we our our bed was made, right? Caleb was going to shoot us shoot us to the championship. And unfortunately he probably could have made one more shot and we win. Right. Mm-hmm. One more shot. So uh, his percentage was poor. And I understand that. I would also say, and we were both there and I was pretty doggone close to, to where they were sitting at. Those kids were exhausted mm-hmm. in the national championship. There's a bench development comment that can be made from there. I got it. Caleb Love was exhausted in the Kansas game. That guy had nothing left. Um, so, look, I think he's going to frustrate us during periods because he's going to have a five for 24, but then he's going to score 35 and and be the catalyst to blowing somebody out. You think about the first half of the Duke game in the Final Four where he, he wasn't great, pretty quiet. Second half, exploded. He's got that capability. So it'll be an interesting coaching dynamic for them to rein him in when he's struggling. But now you're talking to a junior. You're not talking to a freshman who – we used to say on our podcast, if he misses first couple shots, boy, he's going to be in the tank. He's not going to guard. He's going to pout. I would hope and I don't think uh, we're going to see that. I think this is a kid that understands that, okay, I'm, I'm off in the first half. Keep playing. I'm going to get in the second half because he's done it because he did it on the biggest stage. right? So uh, I'm hopeful that a more mature Caleb recognizes that uh, if he's struggling, he can find it. Or if he's struggling, share the ball. He's got help. He's got teammates that can do it. Uh, so that'll be very interesting to see. But I think he has a fantastic season. He's uh, supremely confident. Uh, he's stronger. I saw him a couple weeks ago. He looks great. He's he's built up a little bit more. Um, I, I think he has a fantastic year.
1: Yeah, and that's a great point. Uh, rather than going five for 24, go maybe, maybe five or, or three for 10, with five or six or seven assists, that that's the growth there. Yep. Um, but you're, to your point, those guys were dead. I mean, nobody can ever, Fine. nobody can ever question whether they gave max effort at the end of the season because. And the
0: emotional so. toll of that final four game, I, just that that we didn't talk about it, and I'd love to because I've watched the game like five more times. <laughs> um, but the emotional toll of that game, I don't think. It can be understood to be on the floor for that. I mean, we we were at the pinnacle of sports for that game. Not our sport, not even just basketball. We we're at the pinnacle of sports. Anybody who cares anything about sports and likes to watch it, watch that game. And it was one of the most remarkable things I've ever been in the gym for. For us to beat them and and send send K to his grave, as as we say with my buddies. Um, it, it so for them to have to come back 48 hours later, Mondo's back those kids were dead dead exhausted and and that's unfortunate because you you know a little more gas in the tank but they gave you everything they had.
1: Yeah, you're right. we could talk about it forever and I don't think I mean I, I know fan I know watching it from the seats um, it felt like that. And that's just sitting there watching with a beer in your hand or whatever um, to be out there on the floor living it. I I don't think – a couple things I don't think we can do. I don't think we can ever overstate how much that team gave in that Duke game. And it probably cost them the national championship. The question is, and I think every Carolina fan will answer, it was worth it. It was worth Um, it.
0: I was emotionally exhausted about the Final Four game on Thursday. Two days before, we had done a couple podcasts and went to New Orleans. Like, I was emotionally toast by the time that game tipped off, and we had to be the second game. So, we had to sit through the other game. I, like, by the time that I was sitting with my wife, I was like, I'm exhausted. And the game hasn't even tipped off yet. Just emotionally. And we talked about it. I wanted no part of that. I wanted our game at Cameron to be the last one, I wanted that to be the seminal moment for them to then elevate and do what they did, the emotional toll on every one of us Carolina fans, every one of us Carolina former players, still pales in comparison to what those kids felt. And they were done. They were emotionally done. And and that's very reasonable.
1: 100% there. And it's a perfect time to end the show, but I'd be remiss if I did because I want to talk about what maybe – um will be different this year the iron five those guys were dead this year hubert's got some bench options and mm-hmm. you've been around you've talked to the guys um, puff and don trez are getting the most puff johnson don trez styles are getting the most uh, press about it you've got seth trimble coming in as a freshman but do in your opinion i mean you were around roy williams a ton you saw how he did things in the preseason when i say preseason early in the season playing a ton of guys do you, do you think that given everything that transpired last season and, and given that Hubert went to the Iron 5 and it was kind of like it's kind of like in football when people say well so and so should get more snaps well who do you take out if, right. if you do that so going into this year how does Hubert deal with that aspect of it um and try to build some of that depth cuz he's got some capable pieces this year that'll be sitting and watching those starters
0: he does. It's uh, it's gonna be in in small doses. I would venture to say. I just, you know, outside of Puff and Don Dontreism, I think those seven guys are gonna play the bulk of the minutes. Now, is it Seth or is it is it Demarco that that earns some some third guard minutes behind Caleb and and um, and RJ? You know, maybe. But you got to think that there's gonna be more trust with. Even putting Leaky at the point for spots and Puff at the two, if those guys are both, I, I just, the reality is, you're rarely going to see a time unless it's a blowout where RJ or Caleb aren't on the floor, at least one of them. Uh, and you know that Armando's going to play 36 minutes and you know that Leaky's going to, so, so where are the minutes? Uh, but we ought to, number one, we ought to play well enough to beat some teams handily where those guys can play 30 minutes. Instead of thirty-six, um, and that's that's preseason, and also in the conference, there are conference games that we should win easily, and guys should be able to play a few less minutes to allow for the development of others. Uh, and it, then it's going to be how they play. You know, if those guys prove themselves and are able to be trusted, then we can have an eight-man rotation when you get into March. If they don't, it's going to be six or six and a half again. I mean, that's just, that's it. I mean, he's got such a trust once we figure out what we have with Pete Nance, he's got such a trust in the, in the iron five. um, And he trusts Puff. I think hopefully he develops trust for Don Trez after that, you have no idea. So if those guys earn his trust, it'll warrant some minutes, but the the blessing and the curse of having a bunch of upperclassmen that have played in over a hundred games or thereabout is you trust them. You know what you have. And if they're healthy and they're not in foul trouble, they're going to play.
1: Yep. You ride them. And, uh, I think they will, I think they will have to create some depth. Um, I think Johnson and styles can certainly be there. Maybe one of the freshmen other than Seth Trimble step up. I mean, everybody likes Tyler nickel, Uh, but I agree with you there. And we can sort of wrap it up on this is if you've got guys that you trust, then you play them because why wouldn't you? And, uh, you know, I don't think Hubert's going to play guys just to play them just to see what sticks. We'll see. Um, a lot leading up to the season opener, I believe, November 7th against UNC Wilmington. Uh, Dewey, it's always a pleasure. Anything left, my man? I'm good. Let's let's stay healthy and and make a run. It's going to be fun to watch. Indeed. This has been a special Inside Carolina podcast basketball preview with Dewey Burke, sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt, johnnytshirt.com plenty more content on inside Carolina football season, still rolling along basketball season, heating up, check out all the preview articles and the preview highlights on the YouTube channel, everything you need right here with inside Carolina. Thanks Dewey. Thank you.
0: This is Tony Kornheiser show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else.